a very familiar passage for us, which is Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and we are in the process of um, working through our new mission statement, or our newly revised mission statement, which was just barely revised, but um, we are working through that together. Um, FBCO, or the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, exists to glorify God by making disciples who will serve the world, and this one sentence sums up our vision, our mission, our, our goal. This is where we are headed. This is how we're going to get there. This is what we're asking of our members. Dare I say, this is what we're expecting um, each week for our members to give themselves to that, to glorifying God together as a worship gathering, to being a part of the discipleship process, whether making disciples or being discipled, and then serving, serving the world, either right here or to the ends of the earth. And this, this is the vision. And I love what Habakkuk 2 2 says. It says, The Lord is, speaks to Habakkuk and says, Write the vision, make it plain, so that he may run who reads it. So God says, Write the vision down so that whoever reads it may run with it. And that's, that's the point. We're not just writing this statement on our bulletins, we're not just asking you to memorize it. We are praying that we would run with it, that we would live out this mission. Statement And over the last two weeks, we've kind of unpacked the reality of our existence in the church, that we exist, um, that we see this picture of Christ's thoughts concerning the church, that Christ um, has such high thoughts of the church that he died for it. Then last week, we focused on our calling to glorify God as we gather together in a worship gathering like this, that our, our aim should be to make much of him, to lift him high and we're going to continue over the next two weeks just to, to walk through this statement and to see where, by God's grace, we are, we are going as a faith family. And this morning we turn to the second action um, that's mentioned in our, our mission statement, that is making disciples. And think about this. We glorify God as we become like Christ, and then we glorify God as we lead others to become like Christ. What we're about to read is known as the Great Commission. It's the, the marching orders that Jesus gave to his followers, which is, is us. It's what we call the Great Commission. Just understand this. It's not a, a call for just a few of us. What we're about to read is a command for all of us. So let me say it again. What we're about to read is not a call for a few of us. It's a command given for all of us. Us. There's absolutely no question in Matthew's statement here of what Jesus is wanting his followers to accomplish. And my prayer during the next few minutes is that God would put in our hearts a holy discontent where we would grow tired of biblical knowledge that exists apart from biblical obedience. Let me say this, a discontent where we are tired of just knowing the Bible and not doing it. That we would be a people who would want to live out the word of God, or a discontent of living in a world and just calling ourselves Christians when we're not following Christ. Here's, here's a strange fact. Did you know that the first Christians didn't call themselves Christians? The first followers of Christ didn't call themselves Christians. In Acts 11, it says they were first called Christians in Antioch. So if the first followers of Christ didn't call themselves Christians, it was a derogatory term given to them um, outside of the Jewish or Jesus followers. So if Christ followers didn't call themselves Christians, then what did they call themselves? I'm glad you asked the question. The answer is disciples. They called themselves disciples. In fact, when we think about the New Testament, 
just three times in the New Testament we find the word Christian. 281 times in the New Testament we find the word disciple. It's almost as if God is trying to tell us something. In fact, for every one time you see the word Christian, the word disciple is mentioned 93 times. And Please don't miss what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that it's a sin to ever call yourself a Christian. I'm not saying that we will never again refer to ourselves as Christians. That's what I'm not saying. But what I, what I am saying is this. Sometimes the way that we, the church, use the term Christian, it, it obscures the fact that a lot of people who claim to be Christians aren't really following Christ. Many people who claim to be Christians aren't actually disciples. The word disciple means a follower who adheres completely to the teachings of Christ. And this is where we begin to realize that many professing Christians fall well short of that. In fact, many view following Christ as being optional to their Christian lives. Like, I can be a Christian, but I really don't have to follow Christ. And just think about that reality. Of that, um, this man by the name of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in this short little book called The Cost of Discipleship, and I'm kind of being funny because it's a huge book with, with huge um, meaty thoughts concerning God, but in it he says this, Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship, and Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And then he goes on to say this, In such a religion there is a trust in God, but no following of Christ. Discipleship without Jesus Christ is a way of our own choosing. It may be the ideal way, <clears throat> excuse me, but it is devoid of all promise. Jesus will certainly reject it. Think about this. I think this is a very true statement where anyone who would claim to be a Christian, but yet don't follow Christ, Jesus rejects that form of Christianity. Jesus says that's not Christianity at all. Any form of Christianity that would lead us not to follow Christ is not Christianity. And so I want us to think about that this morning. Let that kind of sink in over us. But then in the same breath, I want to put a question, throw a question out to you today that I pray would just hang over your head or that you would even take and put close to your heart Today And that question is this, is this word that we are about to read, um, that we hear every week, is this word stopping with you or is this word spreading through you? What is this word doing? Is it just stopping with you? And is your life nothing but the Dead Sea, which you have an inlet but no outlet? Or is your life like the Sea of Galilee? You have something coming in and something going out. Is this word spreading through you or is this word stopping with you? So we're going to Look at these amazing words written in red of Christ, his words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. I'm going to ask if you're able that you stand as we honor God's word um, together. And it says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And oh God, we want your purpose for this, your church. We want to hear these words in red and we want to take them into our hearts and we want to not just know them, we want to do them. Empower us today by your spirit, God, to live out your word. 
God, help us to see your clear command and help us to, to follow it, Father. God, do in and through this time what only you can so that you may bring yourself glory through your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So just think about this. When, when we get to this, this portion of Scripture, what we have is the disciples minus Judas. So 11 disciples are back in Galilee um, at least a week after Jesus' resurrection, um, possibly closer to the end of the 40-day period that Jesus walked on the earth. And in this moment, Jesus has something burning in his heart that he wants to share with his disciples. He has something burning that he wants to give them to be their, their mission, their goal, their, their compass, that he wants to lay before them. So what we're going to do this morning, based on what we just read, we are going to unpack three monumental truths that if we wholeheartedly give ourselves to these as a church, will forever change the direction of this church in a good way. If we give ourselves wholeheartedly to these three things, it will forever change the direction. So let's unpack those three things together. The first is this. We must trust in the authority of Christ. We must trust in the authority of Christ. In Shakespeare's King Lear, I'm sure most of us have, have a copy of that at home, but in, in this this, this, in this story, he pictures the Earl of Kent coming in disguise to, to King Lear. And the king says, what do you want? And the Earl of Kent says, I would serve you. And the king says, why? Then comes this famous answer from the Earl of Kent who says, because there is something in your countenance that I would willingly call master, to which the king says, what is it? And the Earl of Kent said, authority. There is something in your countenance that I would call master, and it is authority. So what we are doing is we are trusting in the authority of Christ. Just look at Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. And think about this. Look back to the Gospels. In your mind, remember the Gospels. And in the Gospels, we realize that Jesus... His authority was undeniable. Just think about his authority throughout the Gospels. Jesus had authority over demons, casting them out one by one. He had authority over diseases and all disabilities. Think about who Jesus healed. He healed the blind, the lame, the, the leper, the deaf, the, the mute. And this is where we realize that Jesus' power over diseases doesn't just stop with the diseases that were mentioned in Scripture. Jesus has authority over all disease. And that is good news for us. It's good news for all of us. Then Jesus has, he had authority over nature, commanding the winds and the waves. He had authority over sin, forgiving sins of people. And he had authority over death. When Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. This is the authority of our Savior. But yet, His authority isn't just undeniable. His authority is unstoppable. Because Jesus has all authority and because He proved it through the resurrection, what He says next is going to happen. And so it's at this point that we begin to realize, and please hear this, we begin to realize when Jesus says, I have all authority, that the success of our individual lives and the success of our, the life of this church doesn't depend on us, who we think we are, doesn't depend on what we think we bring to the table. 
The success of this church is not dependent on how powerful we are, how creative we are, um, how amazing we are, how cool we are. The success of this church is not dependent upon that. Our success is based solely on who Jesus is and what he is capable of. And what he is capable of is all things. Just think about this. Think about these two words, all authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What does that mean? Let me just show you real quick what it means. It means that Jesus has authority over Satan, over demons, over angels. He has authority over the natural universe, over natural objects and laws, over stars and galaxies and planets and meteorites. He has authority over weather systems. Wind and rain and thunder and hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis and all of their effects. He has authority over the molecular and atomic reality and we won't break those down today. He has authority over plants and animals, both great and small. He has authority over every part and function of our body over every beat of our heart, over every breath that we take, over every signal coming and going from our brain. He has authority over it. He has authority over every disease. He has authority over every disappointment in our lives. Christ has authority. He has authority over nations, over governments, over armies and weapons and terrorists and war and crime and violence. He has authority over business and finance, over education and all things discovered. He has authority over your families, over your neighborhoods, and he has authority over the church. Think with me. Jesus has authority over every moment of every life that has ever been or will ever be lived. Which begins to hit home because it means this. Jesus has authority over you and over me. Therefore, what he says, we are accountable for. And let me, just, let me just say this. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, listen to what he means. Because he has all authority, it means no one else has any. Just think about that. Jesus says, all authority is mine, therefore no one else has any. Isn't that good news? No one else has any authority. Now, that doesn't mean that we call the IRS tomorrow and go, you have no authority over me. It don't, will not work well for you, just, just, just so you know. Um, but Jesus has authority over them. What a lofty claim. And this is where we realize that our Lord, Jesus Christ, has all authority in heaven and on earth because he's God. And because he's God, we trust in him and we submit our lives to his authority because everything that's about to be said um, is dependent upon his authority. So we trust in the authority of Christ. We trust it. We trust it with all of our hearts. We submit ourselves to his authority. Jesus doesn't have authority over everything except our lives. No, he has authority over everything, including our lives. So he can speak into us however he wants to, and we do what he says. Then secondly, we must then carry out the assignment of Christ. And not only are we trusting the authority of Christ, we must carry out the assignment of Christ. So this is called the Great Commission. It's not called the Great Suggestion. As if Jesus is saying, if you get around to it, I'd like to give you a few things that maybe, just maybe, you might do. That's not the point. The command is clear. Every disciple of Christ should be making disciples for Christ. Someone has said this. I love this phrase. I love, love this, this quote. Someone has said the real problem of Christianity is not atheism or skepticism. 
The real problem of Christianity is non-witnessing, non-productive Christians trying to smuggle their own souls into heaven all by themselves. Is that not the reality of the problem of Christianity? Is non-witnessing, non-productive Christians trying to go to heaven all on their own with no care for anyone else. And here's where we realize that we have to remember that the passions of God and the passions of man don't always go together. In Matthew 9, I think about Jesus. He looked at the crowd and the Bible says that he had compassion. He was moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. And then Luke 9, we're told of this village, this of Samaria that rejected Christ. And James and John says, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and kill everybody? This shows us there is oftentimes a huge difference between what God wants and what we want. Where God wants to save mankind, we want them all destroyed. And this is where we realize that if we're going to give ourselves to anything, we need to come back to the command of Christ where we are making disciples. You see, nowhere in Scripture, and hear this, Nowhere in Scripture has God promised to bless our plans. Nowhere in Scripture has God said, if you bring me your blueprint for your life, I promise you I will stamp it and I will send you on your way. Nowhere. But here's the good news. God has promised to bless His plans. And His plans include us making disciples. So what I've done on the screen, I've um, underlined four words. I'm going to walk through real quick these, these four words. So just follow with me here. We're going to um, not do them in order, but just follow with me. And it just kind of shows us what Jesus lays before us. Here is the assignment of Christ for you and for me. First of all, the word go. We are going. And let me remind you of something. This word go here is not the command. This means, this word here means as you are going or since you are going. So think about it. Where is the church at at 10 o'clock? On Monday morning? Where is the church at at 3 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon? Where is the church at at 8 o'clock on Friday night? Let me tell you, we're going. We're out in the world. That is where we are. We are going. And the point is, as we are going, we are to take Jesus with us. I'll never forget, I was very early on in my, my ministry as a pastor, and I did the unthinkable. I, I canceled a service on a Sunday night. And the next Sunday morning, there was a dear lady in our church that walked out. Um, at that time, I would have to stand out. I would have to stand out front and shake everybody's hand as they walked by. And she walked by me and gave me a letter and said, please read this when you get the chance and just know that God loves you. I'm thinking to myself, well, okay, that's a good reminder. It's good to know. And so I read the letter and basically she proceeded to tell me that um, she would be leaving our church because how dare I as a pastor cancel church because there might be one person who needs Jesus who is looking to find him and I cancel church, therefore I forever sentence them to hell. Now granted, in my, um, I wanted, with every fire of my being, I wanted to write the letter back to her, but I didn't. Figured it would do no good, but if I did, here's what I would have said. I would have said, well, I appreciate what you are saying as far as people who need Jesus on Sunday nights. But what about the people who need Jesus on Monday morning? What about the people that need Jesus on Tuesday afternoon? What about people who need Jesus on Thursday nights? We don't have a Thursday night service. What are they supposed to do? And the point is, they are supposed to come in contact with Christians who are not just keeping Jesus in here, but who are taking him out there. It's the whole point of what we are doing. We are called, since we're going into the world in our jobs and throughout our activities, since we're doing that, we're taking Jesus with us. 
And then the second picture is baptizing. So baptizing them. We're leading other people to, to show obedience to Christ. So Jesus, think about this. He desires every believer to identify with him through baptism. When we think about the books, book of Acts, there's no such thing in the book of Acts as an unbaptized believer. So baptism is our initial identification with the death, with the life and death and resurrection of, of Christ. It makes no biblical sense. Please hear me. It makes no biblical sense for someone to say, I want Jesus to save me. I just don't want him to ask me to do anything. It makes no biblical sense whatsoever to say, I want Jesus to save me, but I just don't want him to ask me to do anything because I'm not going to do it. It just makes no sense whatsoever. So just follow with me here. In being obedient to Christ, we are showing a beautiful picture to the world around us. But baptism was never meant to be our final step in the discipleship process. Baptism was supposed to be the first step. Don't let the pinnacle of your Christian life be your baptism, please. I can't tell you the number of parents, and let me just address parents real quick, who have walked in these doors, who have seen their kids walk down the aisle, um, confess Jesus Christ, be baptized, and then you never see them again. It's like, it's like in their mind they're saying, well, my kid confessed Christ and they're baptized, so therefore we're good. It's like a parent telling their kid, okay, here's what I want you to do at the baseball game today. I want you to hit the ball. I want you to take one step, and we are going to stand up, and we're going to cheer for you, and it doesn't matter what happens next. No, what happens next is you're out. It's what happens next. You're out. So the point is we don't want to teach our kids just to follow through and be baptized and then be out of the game. No, that's the first step. Christ has way more in store for us. Parents, don't lead your kids just to stop there. Lead them to fulfill all that Christ has for them. And then the next one is teaching them. We are lifting high obedience to the words of Christ. And listen to what Jesus said. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What Jesus is saying is that we're to teach people not just to know stuff, we're to teach people to obey Christ. Knowledge is one thing. Obedience is quite the other. We want people to obey Christ. So what is happening is, is we receive the word. You're doing that right now. I pray you're doing it every day. As we receive the word, we are called to spread the word. Every Christian should be a transmitting station with gospel truth. Every place we go is an opportunity for us um, or for the word of God to become flesh. So every where we go is an opportunity for God's word to become flesh, our flesh. So God's word takes on our flesh. So the question becomes, who are we teaching the word of God to? Right now, just, just think with me. Think about the person, the physical person that had the most to do with you coming to Christ. Think about that person. Think about the one who taught you, the one who poured their life into you, the one who lived out the word of God before you. Just think about them. You know, how truly blessed are we because of them? I mean, there's a blessing there that I pray that's welling up within us. But then the question turns back to us. Who has come to Christ? Who is growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ because of us? Imagine if that person that poured into us said, Nah, I'm not going to do it. Just imagine that. Who is coming to Christ? Who's growing in Christ because of your life and because of my life? Are we looking for opportunities to let the power of God out? Oh, that we are. And then the last thing we're going to come back to is those words, or two words, all nations. And we're going to unpack this next week of what it means for us to serve the world. But it is apparent, even from just a surface reading of the gospel, 
that Jesus was out to invade and to impact the whole world. Jesus didn't say, I am the light of the Gentiles. No, he said, I am the light of the world. Jesus didn't say, for God so loved the Jews. No, he said, for God so loved the world. It is said that the soldiers of Napoleon, or Napoleon's army, excuse me, carried in their bags a a map of the world in the tricolors of France. It was said that his army had become slaves to the idea of taking the world for France. They gave their lives for that, taking the world for, for France. In the same way, Jesus has placed a burning vision for the world before us and then has placed his Holy Spirit within us and the Holy Spirit has a white-hot passion for the nations. So therefore, the mission is going to be accomplished. The question is, will we be a part of it? We must carry out the assignment of Christ, which begs the question, where are you at on this journey? Is it possible for a Christian, for someone to be a Christian for 10, for 20, for 30, for 50 years and end their lives with little to no world impact? Is it possible that someone might get to the end of a 30 or 40 years as a Christian and maybe having done a lot of churchy things, things that are good and maybe even things that are commanded, yet never once produce one person for the kingdom of God. Is it possible? And I would say it's not only possible, it's probable. And this is the moment that I pray that the holy discontent is rising up within us, that we don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to just be um, people who come and sit in the pews. We want to be a part of fulfilling what Christ has placed before us. In fact, if maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't know how to do this. Let me just give you some encouraging words. Coming soon, we are going to be walking anyone who is interested um, through a plan aimed at multiplying disciples. We're not just going to show you what it looks like. We're going to give um, clear out space for us to do it together as a, as a faith family. In fact, over the next few months, here's what we're going to be doing as, a, as leadership. We're going to be walking through every program that we have. And we're going to be saying if the program isn't about um, glorifying God, making disciples, or serving the world, we're going to get rid of it. We're going to get rid of it. We're not going to waste our time on things that aren't that. And we believe that if we, if we do those three things well, we're going, to, we're going to be bringing glory and honor to God. And that is what we want to do. That's what we desire to do. And the prayer is, get on board. Get on board with what God is saying. This past week, it was kind of weird. I went out to lunch. Myself and Robert met Gary Pate, our, our missionary to Ecuador. We met him at Junior Seafood, so shameless plug for juniors with great fried shrimp. So anyway, we, we met there, and we're talking, and the food comes, and we pray. And so we, we pray. I mean, nothing weird there. So all of a sudden, we say amen, and there's a woman standing right there. And I'm like, oh, whoa. And she said, I just want to let you know, thank you for praying. You never know. You never know what one act like that will do to somebody else. She said, I just, we're just coming back from the funeral home. We're burying my mother. And I needed, I needed to know, I needed to know that, that God was with me and you showed me that. And I was like, okay. So anyway, we went about eating our shrimp and, you know, uh, putting it away. And um, here we, they're about to leave their group and here she comes again. And she said, which one of y'all is a pastor? And I'm like, this is kind of weird. This is, I mean, so I was like, I am, and she said, let me just say something to you. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. And she said, I just want you to know, whatever God is leading you to do, do it. And know that if nobody else is praying for you, God wakes me up every morning at 3 and 4, and I pray for pastors I don't even know, and now I know you, I'm praying for you. 
And I'm like, huh. And about that time, here comes her sister. And she said, here's the pastor. I told you there was a pastor here. And her sister looks at me and says this, Pastor, don't be afraid to pull out weeds in your church. And I'm like, I just came to eat my shrimp. That's all I really came to do. And I didn't really see this coming. And um, they, they just spoke encouragement over me. And, um, you know, Gary and Robert are sitting there like, okay, well, somebody say something to us. But, you know, just encouraging. And the point is this. I don't want to pull weeds. I want to encourage us. Let's get, a, get on board and let's go where God is leading us. As a people, God commanded us to make disciples. Therefore, if we're going to give ourselves to anything, let's give ourselves to that. Let's become good at that. Let's intentionally pour our lives into the lives of others and see what happens. See what happens. So we trust the authority of Christ. We carry out the assignment of Christ. And then lastly, we must rely on the assurances of Christ. We rely on the assurances of Christ. I, lo I love how this chapter ends. Listen to what Jesus says. At the very end of this chapter, I am with you always to the end of the age. I love how Matthew begins this gospel by showing Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew 1.23, and he ends his gospel with a promise from Emmanuel that I will be with you always to the end of the age. And listen to what Jesus does. Jesus shuts down a question before the disciples could even ask it. Jesus had just put this massive, massive mission in front of them. And I'm sure the disciples were thinking, how in the world are we going to make disciples of all nations? How are we going to do that? And Jesus didn't even let them ask the question. He said, here's how you're going to do it. I'm going to be with you. I will be with you always until the end of the age. And let me ask you a question. Do we really believe that this promise is still good for today? Meaning, is Jesus still with us? Is he? Okay, three of us, okay? Three, the rest of you are going, I think he might be. Y yes, no, no not, not really sure. Think about it. Is Jesus still with us? Oh, that's pitiful. L Lord. Okay, let's start here. Did Jesus promise to be with us? Yes. <laughs> okay, so is Jesus still with us? Yes. So if he is with us, think about this. If the promise of God, if the promise of Christ for him to be with us is still good for us, then hear this. Then the command of Christ for us to make disciples is still binding upon us. And this is where we go, ouch. If his presence is still with us, then his, then his command is still binding upon us. We are called to make disciples. Think about it. If I were to ask you the question, do you want his presence? You would say, yes. But if I were to ask you, will we give our lives to his mission? You would go, uh, well, and really, I just asked you the same question. Because if we want his presence, then we're going to give our lives to his mission. And this is where we realize that if we do that, we will have the presence of our master. He will be with us. In fact, the beauty here is that this is the plan that God has promised to bless. He has promised to bless our efforts in making disciples. When you and I begin to give our lives to making disciples who will make disciples, who will make disciples of all nations, we will come to know the blessings and the presence of God like never before. And then as we do so, we will have power for the mission. For in Acts 1, Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So what becomes very clear that the final words of Jesus is assuring us that we would not only just not be alone, but that we would have um, the almighty power of the almighty one. And there's an amazing story I want to end with today. 
a man by the name of Fretjoth Nansen. I'm sure you've never heard of him and might never think of him again, but he was a Norwegian explorer who set sail in 1896 to penetrate the, the polar ice cap and study the, the flow of, of polar ice. And when he set sail, everyone knew that this mission was a most dangerous one. And he took with, with him a cage of carrier pigeons. And at each stage of his journey, he would release one pigeon with a note tied to its leg, and the pigeon would fly straight back to his house to his wife, and in her journal, his wife wrote these words, I was overjoyed each time I found one of the pigeons at my window. When I saw the bird, I knew my husband was alive and thinking of me. When I saw the bird, I knew my husband was alive. I knew he was thinking of me. And let me just make a correlation here. Over 2,000 years ago, our glorified Savior, Jesus Christ, on the day of Pentecost, released the heavenly dove, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity into the world. When we as children of God, when we obey the commands of Jesus Christ, and when we understand the working of His Spirit, we know that our God is alive and well. That He is thinking of us, that He is present with us, and that He is always for us. It is His good pleasure to act like that towards us always. And this is where I believe a sobering reality begins to, to face us this morning. It is the purpose that has been given to us by Christ. Have we followed it or have we compromised the mission? Have we surrendered to the mission of Christ over this, his church? Will we trust his authority? Will we give ourselves to this? Will we make it our aim to make disciples? I love the words of Matthew Henry, the Puritan. He said this, it is our duty not only to hold fast, but to hold forth the word of life. Not only to hold fast for your own benefit or for our own benefit, but to hold it forth for the benefit of others. To hold it forth as a candlestick holds forth the candle, which makes it appear to advantage all around. Or as the luminaries of heaven, which shed their influence far and wide. So Henry said it's not our job just to hold fast to the word of God. We need to hold forth the word of God. We need to shine, let the word of God shine like the stars in the sky. I think of what Proverbs said. Proverbs says, he who wins souls is wise. And then Daniel 12 says, the one who is wise will shine like the stars. It's a picture of what a life immersed in the mission of God will look like. May today be a day that we give ourselves wholeheartedly to the mission of Christ. And I know that might scare you, but Here's what it means. That we are a people who are wanting and desiring to grow in the, in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And as we do that, then we are a people who will desire for others to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And what it simply means is that we will be a part of walking other people to grow in Christ. Oh, that is our mission. That is what has been given to us by our Savior. May we do it. And may we do it well for His glory. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the musicians um, to come forward. We're going to enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. And Lord, this is a tough word, God, but yet it is a, it is a very real word, a very commanding word from the mouth of you, the one who has authority over all things and has authority over our lives.
For in this moment, I pray that we would wrestle with that question. Is this word stopping with us or is this word spreading through us? Are we really becoming, are we a stopping place for the word of God? Does it just stop with us and that's it? Or are, are we sharing, God, what you're doing in our lives with others? Oh, that we would look for opportunities, God, just to let your word out. Oh, that we would look for opportunities to tell people, God, what you're doing in our lives. How you're speaking to us. How your word is so good and so powerful. That we would look for opportunities, look for people, Lord, that we can grab a hold of and lead them in their spiritual journey just to love you and to know you. And then to do the same with someone else. God, we pray that you would forever change the direction of this, your church. We don't want to compromise your mission. We want to complete your mission with your help. God, help us to do so. Lord, help us to give ourselves, oh God, to your mission like never before. Just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.